Well, I think all of us are looking for something, right? We're looking for meaning, we're looking for purpose, but often we haven't found what we're looking for. And today I want to tell you a story of an Oxford-trained professor who had that very issue. And he had accomplished everything. In fact, this guy was so popular during his life that his radio interviews were more popular than that of Winston Churchill during the time of World War II. He wrote a series of children's books that sold well over a million copies and continue to even today. He was best friends with J.R. Tolkien, who wrote the series The Lord of the Rings, and uh, he volunteered, despite he could have got out of it because of his prominence at the time, he volunteered to go to battle in World War I. However, he was a failed poet. He tried poetry, and people said his poetry, not so good. And he failed his driver's ed test 17 times. And yet this man, an agnostic, scholar, trained professor, had a spark that changed him and challenged him in his life. So today I want to look at that in our series, Spark. What does it look like to have a bonfire faith, a sense inside of you of meaning and purpose that fuels you in your life? And I want you to hear the story of someone who went through that journey. Because a bonfire is just a series of sparks, moments, defining moments in your life that spark something, that create something, that grow into something greater. And I want to suggest to you that It's often the unwanted sparks, the things we try and push out of our life, the things we try and avoid in our life. It's those unwanted things that become the very sparks that change us, that form us, that direct us. So how can we embrace the sparks that we don't particularly like, but embrace them and utilize them to create a fuel in us to transform our lives for the better? So today we're gonna look at four sparks. Four different unwanted sparks that we need to change our perspective on to see if they can help us become the people we want to be. So let's look at the first spark together. What is the first unwanted spark that can fuel a life of meaning and purpose? What's the spark of tragedy? I'll do anything to avoid tragedy. Yet often tragedy leads us to a crisis of faith. What do I really believe? Do my current answers to my current questions really solve uh, the way I see life or the wonderings I have about life? Well, this man was a man by the name of C.S. Lewis, and he had a life filled with tragedy that fueled this bonfire of sparks that led him to understand a perspective on tragedy and difficulty, what faith really meant, and what type of belief could help you when you face tragedy. C.S. Lewis hated his first name, Clive. So he had everyone refer to him as Jacksey. But even Jack, or Jacksey Lewis, as he was called by his friends, spoke of a life of tragedy, the difficulty he had been through. You see, he eventually will be the author of books with talking animals and fantasy novels like The Chronicles of Narnia. But that actually began as a kid. He loved reading about Squirrel Nutkin, this children's book, that had all kinds of talking animals. 
It was a way for him to escape the tragedies he faced even as a child. He loved the fantasy. He loved the escapism of these type of books and these type of novels. But you see, tragedy struck when he was very young. When he was little, about seven, eight, or nine, his mother passed away. And his dad didn't know what to do about it. C.S. Lewis recalls that One night he called out for his mom and she didn't come. Instead, her dad came in the room and said, Mom is gone. He didn't even know how to comprehend that. What child would? In fact, what he regretted most, he said, was not being able to say goodbye. As a literary professor, he would later describe this tragedy in his life. He would say, it's all sea and islands now, the continents have sunk like Atlantis. Now his dad didn't know what to do. He didn't know what to do. They were both grieving from this tragedy. And so his dad decided, just for work-related reasons, to send him off to boarding school. So he comes to England, to an English boarding school. They speak a little bit different accent that he was used to. They run things a little bit differently than he did. He misses his mom and now he misses his dad. He would later, sitting in the the, the trenches of World War I, say that the boarding school in England was worse than the trenches of World War I. Wow. So his life was just filled with challenges and tragedies. Why did he call himself Jack? Well, as a very small child, he had a dog named Jaxie, whom he loved. And yet that dog was hit by a car. And all through his life, he remembered that tragedy. He remembered the love his dog had for him and he had for his dog. And there was something about all these challenges that led him not to give up on faith, but to look for a faith that could sustain him in the tragedies of life. In fact, he describes it this way in one of his quotes. He says, these two circles above all the point which they touched are the very thing I am mourning for, I am homesick for, I'm famished for. You tell me, she goes on, mom goes on to another place, but my heart and body are crying out, come back, come back. Be a circle, touching my circle on the plane of nature, but I know this is impossible. I know that the thing I want is exactly the thing I can never have. Do you feel the crisis of faith? See, he loses his mom, he loses his dog, he loses his family. It begins to make him homesick. In fact, that idea of being homesick that he got in this experience is something he'll reference often in World War I, in his experience, that there's something even in this world with all of its tragedy that makes us homesick. We're homesick for a world with no pain and with no grief. We're homesick for a God who can fix everything that's broken in this world. There's something about tragedy that leads us to long for a world that's better than this one. That's why his favorite passage in the Bible spoke of a God who speaks through creation and speaks through the Bible to to tell us there's a better place to come home to. That's Psalms 19. The heavens declare our home, the glory of God. The firmament shows God's handiwork that even in the tragedy of life, there's something better out there. 
day unto day, they utter speech, night after night, something's coming out from creation around us, revealing knowledge. Oh, there's no speech or language where their voice is not heard. He sensed the world around him was calling out to find a deeper meaning and a deeper purpose. So what does that look like for you and for me? What does it look like to take these sparks of tragedy and utilize them into our life as a catalyst to a deeper understanding of the world and God? I was talking to my friend Lisa about a month ago. I shared her story at the equipping service. She told me about 10 years ago she went through a time of cancer. It was during that time she had to struggle with her faith. Is God who he says he was and can he be trusted even when I find out I have cancer? I asked her how she processed that. She said, one of the first things I had to do is deal with this idea of why me? Why me? Why should I have to put up with this? Why should I have to get this diagnosis? She said, I had to change from why me to why not me? Lots of good people, lots of kind people, lots of religious people or irreligious people face cancer in a broken world. So I need to stop feeling sorry for myself and stop telling myself God owed me better circumstances. Like, wow. She said, and then I began to ask myself, God, if you're real and if you're true, how can I use this cancer to show people what a life of faith, what a life of courage, what a life of trust looks like? She said, it didn't mean I didn't have a lot of tears, a lot of uncertainty, and a lot of questioning. But I tried to take that diagnosis and say, how can I live through this path or live through the circumstance in a way that brings attention to God and his power? That's exactly what she did. In fact, she said her doctor continued to see her perspective was so helpful to her during this time. Lisa offered to uh, give out her phone number to anyone else several steps behind her on the journey. And that's exactly what he did. So several people called up and began to ask, hey, I just got this diagnosis, can you help me? And she helped them deal with that why me question, is there really a good God question, the body image issues related to breast cancer. And she said it was amazing how changing my perspective with that crisis of tragedy allowed me not only to find meaning for myself, but also be part of a larger picture of helping other people process through that. See, no one wants tragedy, but it becomes a spark for a crisis of faith that allows us to embrace things, grow in ways we wouldn't in other ways. That's exactly what C.S. Lewis found. He's writing in his book, The Grief Observed, and he says this. He says, my idea of God is not a divine idea. It has to be shattered from time to time. Some circumstances shatter what you believe about God. He shatters it himself. Could we not almost say that the shattering is one of the marks of his presence? Nothing will shake a man, or at any rate a man like me, out of his merely national beliefs. He has to be knocked silly before he comes to his senses. Only torture will bring it out of the truth, will bring out the truth. Only under torture does he discover it himself. See what he's saying there? He's saying often it's tragedy, it's difficulty, it shakes us out of the idea that somehow I deserve good circumstances and God, you owe me. And, and my, my view of God, my idea of God is he's a giant vending machine in the sky and, and I put in the quarter of good deeds and he owes me the candy that comes out of it. But that's not how life works. So we need belief in a better God, a different God, more than just a vending machine God. So that's the first spark. Tragedy can lead to a crisis of faith 
and a different perspective on who God is. Let's look at our second spark. The second spark is the spark of grief. The spark of grief, like, Chad, this is so depressing. Well, again, tragedy and grief are things we try and push away from, things we don't want. And yet it's a spark of grief that leads us to comfort, to understanding a God of comfort. Right, even the Bible says something kind of weird. It says, blessed are those who mourn. Why would it be blessed to mourn? For you will be comforted. It's in the context of grief that we discover how powerful God's hope, God's courage, and God's comfort is as we navigate these incredibly difficult times. But C.S. Lewis is at the peak of his career. In fact, he's doing incredibly well. He's a bachelor. He's a happy bachelor. He's a celibate bachelor who's enjoying life. 30 years now, not just attending Oxford, he's now an Oxford professor. And with that, he is a expert in his field. He is well known in the whole country at this point. He wasn't really looking for love. He wasn't looking to date. But he stumbled across an incredibly smart woman that captured his heart, a woman named Joy. So he meets Joy. Very unexpectedly, they fall in love. And he says they fall helplessly in love. They just loved each other's presence. They loved laughing together. Because they both had a similar intellect, they loved discussing things and debating things. And just romance was afoot anywhere and everywhere. And yet one of the things he would discover early on in their relationship is that Joy has bone cancer. So going into this relationship, they both knew that there was the possibility that she would die very soon. And there was a moment where it seemed like God was going to solve it all, that she went into remission. And they rejoiced, oh, God is powerful and God is strong and God is with us. And yet, just a few short months, a year later, the cancer came back. As the cancer came back, this time it didn't look like it was going to go into remission. And he tried it all. Tried praying over it, asked people to pray God's healing over his wife. He begged God, he pleaded with God, don't take her from me. Bringing back all those memories of his mother and his dog. All the tragedies he saw and faced in World War I. But now it was incredibly personal. This was someone he deeply loved and didn't think he could live without. He was taking care of her in those final days as she was going through the equivalent of hospice and they were talking about that. And he said to her, I don't know how to let you go. And Joy said, I'm in so much pain. I need you to be okay that God's going to take me home. That's what our faith is about. He's like, I know it. I know it up here. I've written a whole book about it called The Problem of Pain. But this is different when it's not intellectual. It's emotional. How can I come to peace with this? And she said, you've got to let me go. And the loss of someone he loved so dearly. He, he would later write in his journal, God, I might have loved her too much that I loved her too much for myself, that I wouldn't let her go into ultimate peace in heaven, but God, I don't know how to deal with this grief. It was in the process of him navigating his grief that he began to sense God's comfort, even in the middle of, of frustration. And there were moments he was angry and mad and frustrated at God, but he also talked about a, a comfort of God that met with him and walked with him, 
during his moments of angst and chaos and unknown and questions. And he was there that day that she passed away. And it was in the middle of these circumstances that, that he again would lean on the Bible to be the source of his comfort, the God of the Bible. Remember that favorite passage he had in Psalms? The statutes of God, the Bible, the statutes, the thing God wrote down, they're right. They rejoice the heart. They bring joy even when you can't even imagine finding joy. The commandments of God are pure. They open your eyes. They enlighten your eyes when you don't think the light's ever going to come again. The fear of the Lord is clean. It endures forever. And so when you go through tragedy and when you go through grief, cast your burden on the Lord and he shall sustain you. Now you can see why this passage was so powerful in C.S. Lewis's life. To be able to have a place to cast your questions and cast your doubts and, and cast your frustrations. That, that God is big enough, the God of the Bible is big enough to beat on his chest occasionally. To say, God, I don't get it. I don't understand it. I don't want this to be true. But in the middle of that, to feel his comfort, to feel his care, and to feel his concern. In fact, he went from a book called The Problem of Pain where he dealt with the problem of, of, of problems in the world and, and bad things happen to good people intellectually. He wrote another book called The Grief Observed about how to deal with it emotionally. I was actually talking with a friend of mine that I met last year at the ATP. We're going to the ATP tennis tournament together and as we did, I never met him before, but a friend of a friend introduced us. We're driving in the car together, and he said he wasn't a follower of Jesus or of God, but he lost his wife of like 40-something years. And this has been a very challenging year for him, just getting used to being alone, trying to figure out what life is all about. I said, well, what's kind of your faith journey been? He said, I'm not really into religion or faith. He said, but I have picked up a book recently that's been very, very helpful in helping me navigate my journey. I said, what's the book? He said, well, you probably never heard of the guy, but it's by a guy named C.S. Lewis, and the book's called A Grief Observed. I said, really? Now, what was helpful about that? He said, I think what was so helpful is here's a guy who was explaining how I was feeling losing my wife in a way that was exactly, I couldn't put it into words, that's exactly how I feel. It's exactly what I'm trying to do. It's exactly what I don't understand. I said, I don't know if you know this, but C.S. Lewis was one of the probably most prominent Christians in the last hundred years. He wrote children's books, he wrote novels, and, and he articulates Christianity in most of his books. Most of his books are philosophy books. He's like, really? I mentioned mere Christianity and a few others. He said, well, I don't know about all that. But a real person describing the loss of his wife and how he found hope and how he found peace and how he found God in the midst of it, it's making me ask questions I've never asked before. Isn't that powerful? We talked after the tournament that day about his journey and how he was on his way to finding a source of hope, peace that could help him with his questions. Let me give you an excerpt from The Grief Observed that I think is helpful. When you, when you think about grief, whether it's grieving the loss of someone you care about or just grieving the loss of opportunity or the loss of, of health, there's all kinds of things in this world to grieve. C.S. Lewis says this, no one ever told me that grief felt so much like fear. I am not afraid, but the sensation is like being afraid. The same fluttering in the stomach, the same restlessness, the yawning. I keep on swallowing. 
At other times, it feels like being mildly drunk or concussed. There's a sort of invisible blanket between the world and me. I find it hard to take in what anyone says, yet I want the others to be about me. I dread the moments when the house is empty, if only they would talk to one another and not to me. Speaks about the loneliness of grief and the challenges of grief. And sometimes it's music that gives voice to the things we're wrestling with. And during this last year, there's a lot of things we've been grieving, opportunities we've grieved, people we've grieved, changes in our routine we've grieved. So I'd like you to hear this next song Kenny's going to play for us. It's a song you're going to recognize, a song by James Taylor. But I want you to really, don't look at a bunch of other things. I want you to really focus in as you're listening to the song and ask God to comfort you as it, this song gives voice like C.S. Lewis did to the grief and challenges of living in a broken world. Well, can I pray for you? Maybe that song brought up some emotions for you. Father, would you be a source of comfort to each person as they're wrestling with whatever's going on in their life? That at this crossroads, it would be a chance to find you as greater than their struggles and greater than their tragedies, that you would bring hope and joy and purpose even into these dark hours. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You know, one of the things that helps us navigate these type of valleys in our life is friendship. And that was one of the sparks that led to the, the bonfire of faith that C.S. Lewis had, is he surrounded himself with deep friends. But these weren't just friends. There was some rivalry there. They disagreed on literature. They loved getting together at the bar and, and having a pint and, and talking about what they loved or didn't like about this literature or this book or this old story. They loved reading books together. Now, this was early in C.S. Lewis's career. He was still an agnostic, and he certainly didn't believe in the God of the Bible. But he met a man by the name of J.R. Tolkien, the guy who wrote The Lord of the Rings. Now, you got two scholars, one who'll end up writing Lord of the Rings, the other writes the Chronicles of Narnia and hundreds of other books. And they loved debating with each other, interacting with each other. But back then, J.R. Tolkien was a Christian Catholic and C.S. Lewis was an agnostic. And they began to talk about faith and God in the world. And it was this rivalry, these disagreements on religion, these dis disagreements on literature that led to robust discussions. And C.S. Lewis said, you know, I love reading these ancient myths from cultures all over the world, Greeks and Romans and the Canaanites. J.R., wh why do you think I love this idea that I find in books about a, a God who came to earth and, and dies and, and rises from the dead? This theme is all through literature. Why do I find myself longing for a story of another world that something could break the curse that's on this world? And J.R. Tolkien said, well, maybe these myths these stories you love point to the real story of the universe. That there once was a world that was good. It's currently broken, it's cursed. And we need something outside of ourselves to come and to break the curse that can only be done through the power of the dying and rising God. This idea was striking to Lewis. That all the pieces of literature, all the stories he loved, all the books he read, really pointed to the ultimate reality 
and it took friendship and rivalry. And so they went on a, on a walk that day. And it's on that walk as he asked these questions that he decided to follow Christ. He wanted the hope and the peace and the conquering of death that Christianity offered from a historic perspective. So much so that that's what he wrote in his journal years later. He said to Arthur Greaves, I have just passed on from believing in God to definitely believing in Christ. See, it was over the years he went from agnostic to theist, but it was that walk that day with a friend who could answer questions, someone he respected, that he decided to believe in Christ, in Christianity. My long night talk with Dyson and Tolkien had a great deal to do with it. The spark of rivalry led to asking questions and finding answers he never would have found otherwise. Now what's interesting about that is that idea comes back to what he began to see in the world from his favorite passage. That creation speaks to a God who has order, a God who, who creates things and, and his invisible attributes, the God of the Bible, speak through the creation around us. Remember, day unto day, creation utters speech. Night after night, there's this language, there's this longing for home, there's this longing for something bigger than ourselves that can be seen in creation. I referenced this before in a series we did called Plotline. But you ever thought about the fact that every good movie, and every good book, literature professors tell us there's a, a character arc? Every book begins with exposition. There once was a world that was good and something happens in the story. There's conflict rising action. Something's not going well. Who's gonna fix this? There's a climax. Someone somewhere breaks the curse, fixes the problem, changes themselves. And then the ramifications of that begin to spill out in life. But every good movie ends with resolution. We want resolution. We want things to be fixed. We want evildoers to pay. We want good people to be rewarded, don't we? Why is that plot line, that character arc, what makes a good movie? Why do you get done with a bad movie and you're like, I hated the ending? There was no resolution. This is the idea C.S. Lewis was getting at. What if the Bible's true? There once was a world that was good and it got worse and worse and worse and worse and worse and God had to come to earth to, to, to break it, the curse. And currently the ramifications of that are flowing out into a broken world, but it's still not done yet. One day in the future, there will be resolution. God will come back again and heal and wipe away tears and fix what's broken and we will have a perfect world where God and man rest together again. There's something about that he wanted to be true and it was the spark of him questioning things that led to him finding answers, right? And that's our fourth spark. What does it look like for us to question? If you don't ask good questions, you're not gonna find good answers, C.S. Lewis found the Bible to be true. He was an expert in ancient literature. He had heard the Bible wasn't reliable, but he said, I have been reading poems and romances and vision literature, legends and myths all my life, and I know what they are like, and I'm none of them that are like what I read in the Bible. This was something uniquely different that had archeological evidence, manuscript evidence. It was true. It spoke to my heart and to my mind. And that's why in Psalm 19, it speaks not just to how God speaks through creation, but also how God speaks through the Bible. The law of the Lord is perfect. It converts the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, they rejoice the heart. The commandments of the Lord are pure, they enlighten the eyes. But I specifically want to get at this idea. What does it mean that it converts the soul? Because it doesn't mean just gets you to heaven. 
In fact, it means it helps you change what you think, what you feel, and what you want. That certainly happened when C.S. Lewis started thinking about his dad. All the anger he had toward his dad for sending him off so many years ago to that boarding school. See, his dad represented a lot of things from his past that he wanted to forget about. But later in his life, his dad was aging, and his dad was blind, and he was now a follower of Jesus. And he realized he'd been keeping his distance from his father. It was time for him to forgive. It was time for him to initiate. It was time for him to rebuild that relationship, even if it was at the end of his life. So he came and visited with his dad. And he said that time with his dad, those last few weeks before his father died, were precious. He was so grateful to God who motivated him to not just ask questions, but our soul is what we want, what we feel, and what we think. He didn't think he needed to reconcile with his dad. He didn't feel like reconciling with his dad. He didn't want to reconcile with his dad. But the Bible communicates that we should reconcile with people. And he was so glad he did because he came, he came to the, his dad's bedside and he said the relationship they built, the, the healing that occurred, he went there out of obedience. But the connection with his father, the support they gave each other, the healing it brought him, even he was later in life at that point, was so powerful. But he wouldn't have gotten to the place that he could sit by his father and watch his father die and to offer his father comfort and strength and to know that the two of them were right with each other and with God. If he hadn't been able to say, even though I don't feel like it, even though I don't want to, the Bible told me to honor my father and to pursue reconciliation with people. So he did. How about you? Are there some things that maybe you'd like some healing of? And until you ask some good questions, you may not find the answers. And there might be a gift from God, a real healing in a relationship that somebody's got to go first. Well, the reason C.S. Lewis went first is because God went first for him. God takes the steps toward us before we take steps toward him. It's time for us to do what C.S. Lewis did. To fan into flames the very sparks you may be trying to extinguish. Pick one of those today. Is it tragedy you've been trying to extinguish? I get it, I'm with you. But what if instead you said, God, would you fan that tragedy into a crisis of faith to deepen my understanding of the world and you? God, I've been trying to extinguish rivalry, this person that drives me crazy. Would you help me turn that into friendship and to see a different perspective on whatever the issue is that we disagree on? Would you stop trying to extinguish questioning in your life, instead fan that into flame to say, God, use my questions to spark something new and fresh in my life. And God, I'm tired of grieving. But will you use that grief to help me find the source of comfort? I think what I love most about Psalms 19 is that it speaks to both science and faith. That God speaks through creation. You can look at the stars. You can look at the back of a leaf. You can look at a tree. You can look at the water cycle. And it speaks of a God who has concern and love for its creation. And C.S. Lewis loved philosophy and science as a way to, to understand and reason your way to God. But it also speaks about faith, the Bible. That the law of God, the word of God, the, the promises of God 
are the other view, the other lens by which we find peace and hope. Science, the heavens declare the glory of God. Faith, the law of the Lord is perfect. As you listen to this next song, maybe you wanna say that to God. God, I wanna be on a spiritual journey and I'm open to all tools you wanna use. Science, tragedy, grief, friendship, the Bible. Because here as a church, we wanna be a tool you can use to help you navigate your journey and whatever sparks might lead to your hope of finding a life of purpose.